Well, back, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago, when Niall called me up and asked me to speak today, this is like, this week coming up is like the busiest week of my whole life because of what's going on at Honey Rock. And so my initial response was no. Then he said, well, it's graduation Sunday. I said, yeah, I'm in. I love graduations. I love significant transition points. And I love these guys that were just up here with me and girls. I've been involved at different levels with all of them. A lot of them have been Honey Rock campers. Coached them when they were eight years old and about this big. And though I haven't been integrally involved, I've watched. As we all have. And I prayed. And I, uh, just the other day, we got the Three Lakes yearbook. And I know Evan goes to Northland Pines, which that's cool. Uh, he may as well have gone to Three Lakes because we see him at every basketball, soccer, football, whatever game. But what's cool about living in a small town like Three Lakes is as I page through the seven or eight pages of seniors, probably three-quarters of them are people that I know that in some way I've been connected with, that in some way uh, we've been a part of their lives. There's kids that aren't here this morning that have gone on districts and youth group stuff with our church over the years. And um, it's pretty cool. But graduations, and this, this whole talk today is totally for the six of you that were just up here with me. All week as I've been thinking about what to say, I've been thinking about you guys. So everybody else, you can listen in, but I'm just going to have a little talk with the graduates. I think what I'm going to say is relevant to all of us. Um, but I love transitions because these are significant moments. There's a lot to celebrate. If you guys look back over what's happened in your lives and what you've come up to, it's a big deal. And one of the things in our culture that we've kind of let go is this whole idea of rites of passage. When we get to the significant points, we need to stop and celebrate them and look back at what God has done and take note of what's happening so as we look forward to the next thing, we take all those lessons with us. And so this morning, what I'd like to talk about Next slide, Jim. Is this passage in 2 Timothy. I'm just going to read it real quick. From uh, verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard, from, heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Rather, they try to please their commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Well, as I look at this passage, and 
just to put it in context, Timothy was a disciple of Paul's. Uh, they went to the city of Ephesus, which if you look at Acts 19 and 18, Ephesus is where after teaching there for multiple years, the Christian group was growing such that the people of the town who were making money off all the idols, there was a big, huge temple there, so they were selling idols all over the place. Um, Paul got kicked out. And the town just got in an uproar against Christians. Well, Timothy, a young new pastor, Paul places in Ephesus. So I'm picturing a Pastor Nile type person. 30-something, late 20s. Um, first church. And he didn't get the easy one. He got the one where there's all kinds of animosity towards Christians. And so this, this letter and Timothy, 1 Timothy, the one before, is a letter from Paul, the elder, the mentor, to his young disciple. And he starts off this passage in verse 1. He says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Graduates, that's the charge. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. What is grace? Unmerited favor of God. You cannot earn His love. His love is abundant for you. And no matter what you do, no matter how far you go, you can always come home and He's going to be there. It's His presence. It's His forgiveness. It's His sense of purpose and calling on your life. Be strong in that grace. Know that grace. Live in that grace. Drink it like water. And no matter what comes, you'll be strong. No matter what comes, you'll have hope. No matter what comes, you'll have peace. If you live in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Sermon's over. It could be. Because if you have that, you have all you need, Josh. Now I want to look at these rest of these passages. And as it says in the little bulletin insert, if you're following along, faithfulness in this thing of being strong in grace, next slide, requires three things. The first thing is to find a guide. Find a guide. In the first part of this verse, verse 1, it says, You then, my son... Paul loved Timothy. If you look at the other verses, if you look back in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Paul is a person who knew Timothy. He knew Timothy's heart. He knew Timothy's gifts. He knew Timothy's passions. He knew Timothy's weaknesses. Paul knew Timothy. And Paul is guiding and moving and shaping and planting and challenging 
and praying for with a deep, longing prayer for Timothy. We need a guide. We all do. Even a 47, 48-year-old guy needs a guide. I uh, brought us another prop this morning. This prop hangs on the wall in my study. It was a gift of my wife for Christmas 1999. And in this picture, you have three people. Jack Kellogg was my 7th and 8th grade gym teacher. Dennis Massaro was a staff member at Wheaton College that mentored me for two years. Glenn Town was the director of Honey Rock before me. Ten years we worked together. He was also my faculty advisor in college. And since 1999, I could add Jeff Mosier. I could add Huli Goddard. I could add Tim Ivan. These are six men that were my Pauls. I was in junior high in 1979. Were you born? Not quite, right? But my life was deeply shaped by those six people. And what I want to encourage you is no matter where you go to school, is to have a guide. Is to find a guide. To find somebody that's older, wiser, been there, that can love you, guide you, shape you, give you input. That's what Paul is doing for Timothy right here. This whole book is about the guide saying, Timothy, consider this. And you can see his heart as we did in that first chapter. Next slide. The second thing that faithfulness and being strong in the grace of the Lord requires is to think deeply about five questions. Look at uh, verse 2. And the things you heard me say. Do you think Timothy heard Paul talk much? I'm guessing he heard him talk a lot. I'm picturing Paul as the kind of guy that was talking all the time. And he was talking with force and assertiveness and volume. Kind of person that if you're on the train with them somewhere, you're kind of like, dude, I'm right here. So Timothy heard Paul teach all the time. Well, what's Paul teaching about? It's something important because what Paul's saying in this verse is entrust to reliable people who can teach others. This stuff is core. What I've been teaching is core. So what's the core stuff? I want to propose it's these five questions. Go ahead, Jim. First one. And these are questions that as you all go off to college, if you go off to tech school, if you go off to the military, wherever you're going, these are the questions that I want to encourage you to think deeply about all the time. Because I believe that these are the five basic longings of every human heart. And that all of us are always wrestling with the answers to these questions. Maybe not consciously, but subconsciously. But if we move it into conscious, and we actually think about them purposely as we're sitting in classes, as we're going to church, as we're watching movies, as we're listening to music, as we're talking with a friend, God's going to give us answers that are meaningful and rich and which we can base our life on. But the world is trying to give us a bunch of answers to these questions that are lies. And if we listen to the world's answers, we're going to have consequences. 
And it's mostly going to involve struggle and hardship. Because Satan wants us to believe the lies. So the first question, who am I? This is about your identity. This is about what are your values and what are your goals. When people think Evan, it's what they think. Leah, what do people think? David, what do people think? That's the who are you. And it's your values, your beliefs, what you stand for that gives you identity. The key thing I think here, which is it's very easy for me to give these words as an answer to this question. And you can say, I know it, but you have to believe this and feel it deep in your heart. Because God's answer to this question for each of you and for all of us is you are my beloved child. You are my beloved child. I love you. And my hope and prayer for you all is that as you live trying to answer this question, that it will become something that's not just up here, but down here. Next question. Why am I here? Why were you created? It's not an accident that any of us are born. This is about purpose and calling. Ultimately, again, the easy church Sunday school answer, but we've got to move it from here to here, is that we are all created to bring glory to God. We were made in God's image so that we might image Him to the world. What does that mean? I was trying to think of an example because bring honor to God, that's, you know, that's kind of a big high idea that I'm not sure I understand. I'll tell you what it is. It's when one of my kids plays a solo at school. It's when Josh makes an awesome move on defense for soccer, which he made a lot of them. It's when Evan says something brilliant. It's when Dave fixes something. Those are the moments where we're proud as parents. We're like, Wow, look at that. That's bringing honor to God. God's watching our lives. And, and every time we're, we're doing something or being something or saying something or showing love for somebody in a way that is in line with what He hopes for our lives, His heart just goes, Wow, look at what they just did. Look at who they are. How beautiful. That's bringing honor to God. The opposite is what I did yesterday at a soccer game as the coach. Ref made a bad call, and I lost my cool. And it has not left my brain. And today at soccer practice, I'm going to confess to the parents and kids, hoping that that brings honor to God. But everything we do, everything we say, how we live brings honor to God. Or doesn't? Next question. Where do I belong? This is the community relationship question. We all long to be in community. We all long to be connected to people. 
So the question for all of you graduates is who is your community in your new place? Because who we choose as our community, especially our deep connected community, has a lot to do with who we become. I have a 330 page dissertation that I wrote on the transition to college two years ago. I've studied what happens when people come into college. I was thinking of bringing that, using that as a prop and reading you 120 boring pages of words. But here's the key, the bullet, the summary of my whole thing. The first semester determines everything. And who you choose as your friends that first semester and where you choose to spend your time makes a huge difference in your college career. So choose your friends wisely. That doesn't mean you can't have friends that aren't Christians or whatever, but you need a web of relationships, as I'll talk about at the next point, to be able to stay strong. Next one. What is true? What is real? What's true? God's perspective on the world is what's true. We need to be in this, especially if you go to schools where this is not the priority. And everything you're hearing from your teachers at school and from the books you're reading needs to be weighed against God's perspective on truth. I was thinking of an analogy for this one. And I came up with taking a bath or taking a shower. What if we all only took one shower a week? Be kind of stinky in here, wouldn't it? The fans are blowing all our bad odor all over the place. If we're sitting in class for 20 hours a week listening to people's perspective on the world, and we're not spending time here on a daily basis, regular basis, we're not going to find out what's true. So we always need to be aware. I'm not saying don't listen. Don't consider the big questions. That's what college is all about, is asking the big questions of life and wrestling with those. But let's just make sure that as you're doing it, you're bringing in truth. Which Evan and Josh, you guys are going to have a lot of it. Last question. What can I contribute? We all want to contribute. We all want to give something back. We all want to serve. So what are your gifts and passions? A lot of that we know already. You know already. It's really fun. Evan, compassionate and enthusiastic. David, mechanically minded and giving. Josh, intellectual, thoughtful. Billy, persevering and strong. Right, Billy? Man, Leah, leader, honest, enthusiastic. Catherine, intelligent, humble. Brooke, joyful. That's the word for Brooke. And inclusive. God's created each of you unique and different. Given you each unique gifts. Given all of us unique gifts. 
And part of what brings honor and glory to Him is if we live into who we are and give our gifts back to the world in service. So I pray that in the next few years as you do the college and move on, that God will help you understand deeply what you can contribute to the world. But it's pretty easy. Know who you are and do who you are. Because He's given you the DNA to be able to do what He wants you to do in the world. Okay, so two things so far that are required. First is to find a guide. Second is to consider the deep questions, core questions. Third is to build a web of relationships. Verse 2, it says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So we have many witnesses, a few reliable people who pass it on to teach others. Do you get the sense that we're connected in life? It's like a, it's like a web. I hesitated or have been wrestling with whether to use this picture of this web idea or not, but I'm going to use it. Anybody know who John Wayne Gacy or Jeffrey Dahmer are? These two men are serial killers. John Wayne Gacy uh, murdered 33 young men and buried them in his crawl space in Illinois. Jeffrey Dahmer was from the great state of Wisconsin and killed and dismembered 17. And my point is not about Jeffrey or John Wayne, because that's a whole separate conversation. My point is about the 50 young men that vanished at the hands of these two serial murderers. And I want to ask the question, why did it take 10 and 20 years to find out where these guys were and what they were doing? That's how long it took. They, they continued on for years. And some of them were even arrested and then released to kill another 10 people. It's because the guys that they killed had no web. The guys that they killed were homeless on the streets, picked up in bars in Chicago or Milwaukee. They had no family. They had no friends. So when they vanished, nobody knew. I'm not concerned about that with you guys. Because we just saw a whole web that's standing here supporting and caring for you. And if you go walking off the deep end, we're coming after you. And just because you're graduating and leaving town, we're not going to stop praying for you. You've got a web. And when you get to a new place, find a web. Find a web of people who are going to stand with you and not let you get off track. Build a web of relationships that will catch you and not let you wander. So next slide. What happens 50% of the time if these things don't happen in young adults? Here's the bad news. And 50% is conservative. There's other studies that show 70 to 80% of young people who grow up in the church, when they leave the church, when they leave home, they leave the church. I chose to, choose to go with the conservative number. This comes from a new book that's out by Barna 
uh, company group. The book is called You Lost Me. Twenty-somethings leave the church in a big number percentage. Three different types of folks that leave the church according to uh, the book. First is nomads. This group leaves the church but still calls themselves Christian but just seems the church is irrelevant. So of the 50% of kids that grow up in church, 40% of those 50%, get what I'm saying, are nomads. They leave the church, they still call themselves a Christian, but they don't have much fellowship with anybody that's Christian. The next group is called the prodigals. This group, 20 to 30% of that 50%, leave the church and leave God. And then the last group is exiles. These folks stay in the church, but their heart and mind is in a distant land. Our hope and prayer is that you won't be one of these statistics. And that if you build a web, if you find a guide, if you keep the big questions of life at the center of your thinking and continue to bring truth into answering those questions, you won't be one of these people. Let's look at the last part of this passage to get a picture of what being a Christian is like. It's very interesting that Paul, in verses 3 to 6, chooses three analogies for the Christian life. The first is soldier. It says in verse 3 Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one in serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs, rather, they try to please their commanding officer. So Paul is saying here to Timothy, be strong in grace of Christ. Be strong. Here's what it's going to be like. And he's given us three pictures of what it's going to be like to be somebody that's living for Christ, being in Christ with their whole life. The first one is soldier. Which when I hear the word soldier, I picture battle. I picture life-threatening. I picture you better be alert and on your toes because you never know when you're going to be attacked. I picture danger. And what Paul says here to Timothy is no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Don't get distracted, don't get off focus. If you get off focus for a second in a world that wants to chew you alive, consequences. Don't get off focus. The next image we see, verse 5, Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown, except by competing according to the rules. Most of you are athletes. Multi-season athletes, as a matter of fact. What's it take? Discipline. Repetition. Perseverance. 
teamwork. When Paul wrote this, he was writing in a Greek era when the Olympic thing was happening. And the Olympics back in that day and age were like full-out body worship. And the Olympians were working to carve their muscles to be perfect specimens. Incredible focus. Incredible effort. Incredible work. Incredible discipline. And I love what Paul says here. Competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. And part of what made me upset at the soccer game yesterday is we had a breakaway and it was our guy with the ball, only the goal and the goalie. And one of the defenders came running up from out of nowhere and grabbed our guy's shirt and threw him to the ground. Blatant cheating. Blatant bad sportsmanship. You've been beat. Let them have the glory. Not to mention, one of my guys could have got hurt. That was the same guy in the whole game who threw his shoulder into four other people and was called for a foul. And he was the biggest guy on the other team. And he was bouncing my players around like they were ping pong balls. He was taking shortcuts. Don't be shortcutters. Play by the rules. The last image we see is that of farmer. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of crops. Farmers cultivate. They're out there trimming. They're out there moving the dirt. They're out there picking weeds. They're doing the work of farming. But guess what? They don't get to make the fruit grow. They have to wait. They're cultivating, but they're waiting. But the cool thing is that they get to receive. They get to receive the abundance. So farmer, hardworking, but cultivating, but also releasing control, doing what God calls us to do and being faithful and trusting Him for the fruit. So the Christian life is like being a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Part of why I think Paul used all three of these metaphors is because any one by itself doesn't provide a complete picture. All three of them make it sound like the Christian life is a lot of work and a lot of effort, which it is. But also notice that all three of them have a blessing have a reward. Let's see what it is for the soldier. They please their commanding officer. The soldier who stays focused and is alert and trains well and fulfills their duty pleases their commanding officer, receives praise and honor. The athlete that works hard, gets the prize. What's the prize? For us as Christians, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
riches in heaven, in the other, in the in the eternal life. Just like athletes train for a game, and a game is an hour to two hours long. It's a little snippet of life, right? We don't do athletics just to do athletics. I'm involved in coaching because I think athletics is a great tra- place to train for life. This life on this earth is like the two-hour game compared to our whole life for all of eternity. Get my point? How we play this life, how we do this game, how we do this practice determines the rewards for the whole rest of eternity. But we get the crown if we're faithful. And then lastly, the farmer gets first fruits. The farmer gets the supply, the blessing, the gift now. So soldier, athlete, farmer. So now what? Last slide. I love how Paul ends this passage. He says in verse 7, Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Paul concludes this passage by saying, Reflect on these things. Think on these things. Ponder these things. Don't let it get out of your mind. And then he also says, and this is a beautiful promise which connects with Scripture all over the place, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Anybody remember what I preached on uh, last Sunday of 2012? The Lord is with you. To Joshua, to Moses, to Jesus. Jesus to the disciples. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. You turn your back on Him, the Lord is with you. You run away from Him, the Lord is with you. You turn back to Him, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. So be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. The world's trying to take you down. Be strong and courageous. Don't give up. Get a web. Find a guide. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord, for Your Word. Thanks that it's alive and well, and even though it was written 2,000 years ago, it speaks to us today. Pray that these truths would move from our head to our heart. Pray especially, Father God, that as we send these graduates out, that they will be strong in the grace of the Lord, that they will know your presence and know your love every day for the rest of their lives. And I pray that prayer for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.